I'm super excited that you're joining us for the very last week of my teaching in this series called Detox. And today I want to talk about what it looks like to detox from fear. But first, I want to take just a moment and thank the NBCC community. Can I just say, guys, those of you who are local here in the Bay Area and those of you who are scattered across the country and the world, you guys are the best community ever. About a week ago, we announced uh, a uh, disaster relief fund where we were raising money to send to those who have been hit uh, now by a hurricane and a tropical storm in Louisiana and those who've been hit uh, by earthquake in Haiti. And despite um, compassion fatigue and all of these things that are going on, let me just tell you what you guys did. Uh, over the course of this week, you have contributed more than $40,000. Oh, my gosh. You guys are the bob. Thank you. $40,000 that we will uh, in turn give away to support recovery efforts both in Louisiana and in Haiti. And I just want to say on behalf of all the people that you'll be helping and you'll be helping them in the name of Jesus, I just want to say thank you from the very bottom of my heart. If you want to know the partners that we're going to be working with, just simply go to our website. There's a QR code here on the screen that will allow you to go straight to our website and you get to read about the partners that we're working with in both locations. All right, let's get started with our teaching. Uh, can somebody just shout detox? Praise be to God. Listen, uh, I want to return to the passage that we've really been working through over the course of the last couple of weeks, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and uh, as we're dealing with Adam and Eve in conversation with uh, the serpent. So let's pick up our reading there as we're thinking about detox from fear. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Can you guys just say exaggeration? Yeah, exaggeration. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. You see, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the enemy says. Can somebody just shout, lie? The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. Listen for the fear tactic here. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. And there is the reading for this moment. Last week, the big idea of the teaching was simply this. It is dangerous to be emotionally, socially, and spiritually disconnected. Or another way of saying it, to be isolated. We told you last week that uh, you want to make sure that life is not moving you away from people, disconnecting you from people and disconnecting you from God. Because in that isolated place, that's where your mind begins to play tricks on you. That's where evil around you begins to play, play tricks with you. And that's where you'll begin to even deceive yourself and make choices that, in fact, you could regret for the rest of your life. And so I challenge those of you who are listening. Number one, 
be a, um, tell a friend. If you're struggling with some stuff that you've been hiding, that's, that you're keeping only to yourself, that could be toxic, could be dangerous, whatever it is, tell a friend. And then I also challenge all of us to be a friend. Be that person who is so safe that your kids or your siblings or your, uh, or your colleagues can come to and tell you about whatever's going on. So let me give you a little homework. Listen, I want you to ask people who are close around you, just ask them, am I safe for you to tell me if you're going through something? Do you feel like I'm a safe person? Do you feel like I'm a safe person? That's your homework. Go and identify three or four people who are very close to you. Ask them that question. And if they say no, I want you to pay very close attention to why they say no. And if you missed the teaching from last week, make sure you catch that message. I've got some insight for you in that respect. Today, I want to talk about what it means to detox from fear. Fear is a huge thing that's happening in our world today, driven by the pandemic, driven by uh, the COVID uh, epidemic that we are facing, driven by all of the upheaval that's happening politically and militarily all around us. Fear is a big deal. Now, the first step that I want you to uh, make note of when it comes to detoxing from fear is that you have to first kind of have a, re a revelation or a realization. Here's the realization I want you to know. Fear will, in fact, manipulate us if we don't acknowledge it and process it properly. And even worse, fear will, in fact, allow us to be manipulated by others if we are not careful. So first, I need you to come to grips with that realization. Fear is dangerous if we're not acknowledging and processing it. And second, I need you to make a series of decisions today. And the first decision is simply one that says, I won't be manipulated by fear. Don't be manipulated by fear. Decide that right now. Come on, say it with me. I will not be manipulated by fear. Now, let me just illustrate what this looks like, uh, particularly here in the text. It is very uh, uh, prevalent in this text. Notice uh, uh, Adam and Eve are in dialogue. Uh, actually, uh, the focus is on Eve, but we'll learn a few moments from now that Adam is right there listening. And they're in dialogue with the serpent. The spirit of the serpent is equal to uh, that which we call Satan or evil or the devil, the great seductor, the great liar, the father of lies, uh, the one who is deceptive, the spirit of the serpent. I want you to say that with me, the spirit of the serpent. And here's what he says to Eve. Hey, guys, listen, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. For God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat this fruit. And guess what? You will be just like God, knowing both good and evil. And she bought it. Now, notice this. What is he saying? He starts off with a, a kind of exaggeration. Did God say that you can't eat any of these fruits, uh, any, fruit from any of these trees in the garden? And, and of course, the answer is, well, no, 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 no. Just this particular tree right here. And then he kind of <laughs> intimates. 
The the question that's hidden in his statement was, so number one, he says, you won't die. So God is lying to you. So the first question that comes to Eve in Adam's mind is, well, why would he lie to us? And secondly, number two, can you think of any reason why he doesn't want you to eat from this tree? No, I can't really think of any reason why. Yeah, all these trees you can eat from, but you can't eat from this particular tree. I don't know why. Well, let me tell you why. You see, he doesn't want you to eat from this tree because the moment you eat from this tree, you will become like God and you will no longer need him to be the dominant force in your life. You can throw him out of your life. So ask yourself the question, why didn't he tell you this? Why is he trying to keep you in this particular situation? Whatever it is that you don't know about God, hmm, that's what you should be afraid of. Can somebody say fear? And the woman, along with the man, actually, was convinced. So here's what the text says. Watch this. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave to her husband. Watch this. Who was with her? And he ate it too. Now just think about this. Adam was the first person to whom God says, here's what you shouldn't do. Don't eat from this tree. He's listening to this conversation going over to Eve. He's standing there with her. Why didn't he speak up? Why didn't he interrupt? Why didn't he try to disrupt the misinformation and the lying and all the stuff that was taking place? You know, when I think about it, Adam standing there listening to Eve, being convinced along with Eve, uh, falling prey to the fear that Satan is hinting at, the serpent is hinting at, kind of make me think of group thought. You know, how we can be in a certain group and start thinking the same way and moving the same way and behaving the same way. And in the midst of misinformation, in the midst of fear, we can start acting the same way. You know, there's a very popular uh, TV series that was uh, very popular during the late 50s, uh, throughout the 60s, and in the early 70s. As a matter of fact, growing up, I used to watch it all the time, The Twilight Zones. As a matter of fact, you can still get episodes on Netflix. And in 1961, right as the, as the Cold War was really beginning to heat up and, and America was beginning to build nuclear shelters all over the country and so forth and so on, The Twilight Zone did an episode called The Shelter. And in that episode, they talked about this family right here. This is a picture of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Mr. Stockton, uh, who is a doctor. And he's at his birthday party that his wife has thrown. And all of his best friends are there. He's helped to deliver their kids. And, and, and the guys in the room, they, they've been best friends since college. They, they went to college together. And during the course of this conversation... Dr. Stockton happens to mention that he's building uh, a bomb shelter down in the basement. And, of course, uh, they just kind of took that in good humor. And I suspect they were thinking about going and doing something similar. And then while they're having such a good time, a wonderful time, uh, Dr. Stockton's son, Paul, comes in the room and said he's just heard over the radio that there are these unidentified objects that are flying fast and furious at America. Immediately, the room uh, is disrupted by a sense of panic. Uh, Dr. Stockton takes his family. They, they rush 
down to the Shelton. He says to those who remain, you can stay right here in the base. If you want to use my basement, you can. But there's only enough room in the shelter for me, my son and my wife. And he heads to the shelter. In the meantime, pandemonium breaks out. The people who are left, they begin to turn on one another. And then they decide, we're going to break into that shelter. And they, and they, and they get, a, they, they, they get a, a, a deal here. And they begin to try to break through the door where Dr. Stockton, their good friend, is with his family. Check this scene out. Unidentified objects have now been definitely ascertained as being satellites. Repeat, there are no enemy missiles approaching. Repeat, there are no enemy missiles approaching. The objects have been identified as satellites. They are harmless, and we are in no danger. The state of emergency has officially been called off. We are in no danger. Immediately after the scene, the entire crowd is gripped by shame and guilt. This group was turned into a mob and they were about to attack their close and dear friend breaking into his shelter rather than scattering and going to their own home. Why? The power of fear to manipulate. Fear and panic. You know, in this closing scene, the doctor um, Stockton looks at the group that's feeling guilty and full of shame. And he says to them, you know, we were spared destruction by a bomb tonight. But I wonder, I wonder if we have not already started the process of destroying ourselves. And somebody say fear. You know, when I heard those words, I couldn't help but think, Last weekend, we commemorated the 20th anniversary of September 11, when the two planes flew into the Twin Towers in New York, where another plane flew into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and yet a uh, fourth plane was flying, and actually the brave passengers uh, rushed the terrorists and kept that plane from flying into the Capitol building. Crashed in the fields outside of Pennsylvania. And I just thought, you know, uh, 20 years ago, when all of that horrible stuff happened, our nation was incredibly united. I remember opening my church on the evening of that attack, and, and, uh, and it was packed with people. Many weren't Christians, most weren't Presbyterians. I was pastoring a Presbyterian church in Boston. But we were together in our grief, trying to figure this thing out. I stood a couple of days later uh, on the DSC at the Boston City Hall among several thousand people with a Muslim clerk to my left and a Jewish clerk to my right. Uh, and we were together as we led an interfaith service. I remember Congress standing on the steps of, Capitol, uh, of the Capitol. Singing, God bless America. 
Do you remember that? Yeah. All of us can remember where we were. I think if you're old enough, when, when that horrible scene of the plane slamming into the tower happened, and all of us, I'm sure, can remember the sense of unity because we knew that the enemy's greatest advantage regarding us was disunity, division. In that attack, almost 3,000 people were killed. During this pandemic, at least just here in America, over 600,000 people have died. 500,000 kids as of early this week have contracted it. And rather than us being as united as we were, we, were div- we are divided. And in many ways, we look like the scene that you just saw here. We are turning on one another. Why? <laughs> Well, the same spirit that was in that serpent is at work in the world today. And just what he did in the text that I just read about Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was he severed their relationship with God. And then he severed their relationship with each other. And he used fear as his weapon of choice, the ultimate tool to separate them. Look, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you remember this text here. I told you about this text, right? Uh, They both eat of the fruit and they're filled with shame and they try to cover themselves and they're hiding. And God comes into the the voice of God, walks into the garden and calls for Adam. and, And finally, Adam admits that he's hiding. And God says, why did you eat of the fruit? And because Adam said, you know, we're naked. And so we're hiding and and, 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 and God said, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit? And, and here's what Adam does. He, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It was her fault. Here's a better translation of this in terms of interpretation. What Adam was essentially saying is, God, you said that the day you eat, that's the day that you're going to die. And so, and check this out. The moment sin enters their lives, the moment uh, they break their relationship with God, their perspective on God changes. This is the work of the evil one in the serpent. This is what he's created. And they see God only as a judge coming to execute them. And here's what he says, Lord, if you're coming to kill, kill her. My wife, my spouse, my gosh, that's what fear does. It turns us on one another. Horrendous. So I can hear God saying to all of us as we wrestle through various examples of fear, don't panic. Yeah, don't panic. First, I'm going to make a decision. I'm not going to manipulate it. And if that's the case, I can't afford to panic. That's what happened in that Twilight Zone scene. Uh, Take a picture of this text from Isaiah. This is a powerful text. I want you to memorize it, internalize it. Don't panic, the writer says. I'm with God, declares to Israel. Don't panic. This is the message version. I'm with you. There's no need to fear, for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. Whatever you're facing, I'll give you the strength. I'll help you. Whatever is in front of you, I'm going to help you. I'll hold you steady. I'll keep a firm grip on your life. Don't panic. And for those of us who are saying, 
Is there a different way that we can behave when we're dealing with fear? Where do we find the strength to behave differently? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us as he writes to young Timothy, he gives us this incredible insight. He says, listen, first of all, if God lives in you and in those of us who profess to be Jesus followers, uh, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus is to be alive, is alive in us. And here's what Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. That spirit does not come from God. But here's what God gives you. He gives you uh, power. Can somebody shout power? That's the word dunamis, which means dynamite. And when dynamite goes off, it kind of rearranges the world around the explosion. And what God is saying is that I'm giving you the dunamis, the power, right, that you need, check this out, to choose love over hate, to choose death, self-discipline, and how you process and how you figure out what's going on rather than to give in to panic and chaos. Yeah, power, love, and self-discipline. Tell somebody you've got the power if you know Jesus. So don't panic. And then I want to say, don't be deceived. Look at how deception shows up here in the text. I just want to call out some elements right here in the text. First of all, deception comes early in the form of a lie. You won't die. Well, when God says that they were going to die, what he meant was that the moment you eat the fruit, you're going to introduce death into the human equation. Now you are people who will die. The serpent replies, you're not going to die. Mm-mm. First lie. He says, then God knows that. Now watch this. Here's some truth. Your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. That is exactly right. Their eyes were open as soon as they ate it. That was truth. And you will be like God. Enormous exaggeration. And built into that exaggeration is this notion of fear. And you are the fear of God who, who wants to keep you from attaining your greatest height. Who wants to keep you under his thumb is the implications. Now look at what happens when they eat. At that moment, their eyes open. I told you that was some truth. But the exaggeration falls apart. They suddenly felt shame of their nakedness. Not strong like God. And then what did they do? They found themselves sowing fig leaves and trying to cover themselves. You see, here's what happens. They did know uh, good and evil. But the reason why they knew good and evil is this. Is that they moved from being just solely good people. Into being coming a combination of good and evil people. The good and evil showed up in them. That's right. Them. So rather becoming more like God, listen, they became more like the spirit in the serpent. And he said, aha, I got you. I've got you turning on God and I've got you turning on each other. I've Got you. That spirit is still at work in the world. That spirit is still at work in our communities. It's still at work across our nations. I know folk are watching outside of America, and you'll, you'll find that spirit to divide and conquer is still at work, manipulating and turning us on each other. You know, I was really kind of inspired last weekend as I watched the different commemoration 
I think it was Flight 93 was the flight that actually crashed in the fields of Pennsylvania. And there were two groups of people on that flight. The first group is, of course, the terrorists, the perpetrators of such great evil. And as I thought about it, what came to me is, you know what? Those folk who ended up terrorists, they weren't born terrorists. We all are born uh, in sin and shaping in iniquity, but I don't think any of us are born coming out of the womb hating people. How did they become the kind of people that they could kill so many folk in cold blood here in America? I'll tell you what happened. Over the decades, America's foreign policy is related to the countries and the part of the world that they were in made some mistakes. In some cases, we got some things wrong. The enemies of America then took those mistakes that we made and the things that we did wrong, and they added misinformation, and they built fear into it. And suddenly there began to emerge groups who began to see America as the great Satan. And fear said to those groups, including the people, either we wipe out America or America will wipe us out. And so the folk who showed up on those four planes and killed 3,000 people, nearly 3,000 people, they did it because every one of those individuals to them were the great Satan. Now, here's what's unique about this situation here in America. What I'm watching in the news, and you, this is replicated across the country, I'm watching group turn on groups. And I'm watching fear. We, we're no longer debating ideas here. Every group is simply using fear. Fear. And every group sees the other group, or most groups, or many groups, see the other as, check this out, the great Satan. Yeah, yeah, these are the people that I can't trust. These are the people in some way that we have to wipe out. And the evil one is celebrating and saying, I've got you. How is fear manipulating your life? That's the question. Well, there was a second group of people on that plane. And as I think about the second group of people, I think about the writer First John who says, uh, that anyone who hates his brother and sister is a murderer. Uh, and, and he goes on to say, and we know that eternal life does not live in the heart of a murderer. And then he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ gave up his life for, his, for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I want to introduce you to this guy. His name is uh, Todd, Todd Beamer. And uh, Todd Beamer was also on that plane. He was the one who got a call out and was telling people what was going on in the plane. And he found out what was happening around the country. And we knew, he knew that his life was coming to an end. You could hear him in the call saying, oh God, we're not going to make it. Oh Jesus, help us. But rather than giving in to a spirit of fear, he gave, he realized that God had given them some power. That they, they had the power to choose love over hate. That they had power to act with self-discipline and come up with a solution. Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. If you had pulled all those people off the plane, 
and set them down somewhere. I'm talking about the Americans and raise issues like abortion and 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 racial justice and immigration and right Republican politics and Democrat politics. Oh, they've been fighting and arguing all that. But in that moment, they realized that what held them together was far greater than what divided them. And they were led by this guy. Do you know what? He was a Jesus follower. He, he taught uh, Sunday school at his church. He and his wife together worked together to lead the youth and, and train their young youth in the ways of Jesus Christ. He was a youth leader. This Jesus follower helped to organize the passengers. And in the words of 1 John, following the lead of Jesus who laid down his life for us, they rushed those terrorists, crashed the plane, and thousands of lives were saved. And his final words were, let's roll. Let's roll. Wow. My goodness. My prayer is that Jesus followers will rise up all over the country and all over the world. And rather than participating in group talk, rather than being in those groups where you're hearing fear mongering taking place, that you'll speak up and you'll say, no, no, no. It's, it, it, there may be a different side of the story. And you'll be able to do that because, you know, last week I told you to be a friend, be a safe place. I want to challenge you. Be a friend, not just to people in your group. Learn to be a friend to people who are different than you. So that you can be an instrument of love in a world that desperately needs to push back against fear and its division. I just want to show this right here. The formula for manipulation. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. Manipulation always has a little truth into it. Then there's some exaggeration and fear. And then through that comes a lens of interpretation. The terrorists interpreted all of our actions as evil. We are interpreting all of the actions that the other folk who we don't like is evil. Watch this. So when you listen to your news, when you read your news feed, where do you hear the exaggeration? Where do you hear the fear, even if it comes from your favorite person? Oh, yes, I'm sure there's always some truth. How is that impacting your interpretation? All right, let me let me end here, guys. So here's the point. Don't let fear be the final decision in what dictates your actions. Todd and those passengers decided that fear would not dictate their actions. Love would dictate their actions. (laughs) That they would grab the power that God had given them. And they would act together against the spirit of division. Wow. Here's what the psalmist says. It's one of my favorite. It's kind of a summary. So how do I do this? This is what the psalmist says. He, he comes out of a place where people are fighting, right? And they're fighting against the psalmist. And here's what he says. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me. And many are boldly attacking me. But watch what he says. <laughs> But when I am afraid, he acknowledges his fear. He's, he's, he, he's aware of his fear. He's aware of the influence of fear in his life. He says, I will put my trust in you. That he will transition his trust from whatever it is that he had been previously trusting in, his job, his money, his power. And he transitions that trust 
to God. So I want to tell you, I want to teach you in the midst of this time when fear grips your life. My God, acknowledge it, process it, then transfer your trust from whatever it is to an all powerful God. Here's how, here's how the psalmist ends that text. I love how he ends this text. He says, I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I allow fear to manipulate my life? That's the translation. What can mere mortals do for me? I love this. I'll praise God in the midst of trouble because of his promise. What has God promised? God has promised, oh my, that wherever we go, Genesis 23, he will be with us, the almighty one. What has God promised you? He has promised that he will love you with an everlasting love. So if you hear voices telling you to wipe out your life as so many suicides are taking place, that is not the voice of God. Tell a friend. Tell somebody, if you're taking medication to help you fight those voices, keep taking those medications and hear God say to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. If you're being gripped by anxiety, remember that scripture declares the promises of God that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that you are more than a conqueror through he who loves you. And I'm not suggesting that everything will turn out the way we want it to turn out, but I wake up every morning with a fresh faith that says that however the day unfolds, the God I know in Jesus Christ, God Almighty has me in the grip of his hand. And as long as I stay in the grip of his hand, I'll find the power to be an instrument of love. I'll find the power to exercise self-discipline. I'll find the power to be more and more what he's called me to be until one day he calls me to be with him in eternity through his son, Jesus. And that is the faith I give to you that you may not be manipulated by fear. Amen. I'm about to pray. Here's where I'm going to end. I talked a little bit about suicide. If you're thinking about suicide, there's a number right here. I want you to call this number right here and let somebody help you. And that somebody would be the hands of God reaching out to you. May God bless you. I can't tell you how much I hope that God spoke to you through this message. And I want to give you an opportunity to take a step towards him in terms of commitment. Rick Warren often says, we become what we commit to. So there's a QR code right here on the screen. I want to encourage you to point your phone at it. It'll take you directly to our connection card. And in our connection card, you'll see a section that says next steps with Jesus. And for somebody that's listening today, your next step with Jesus is to check and say, I want him to be Lord of my life, Lord of my today and Lord of my tomorrow and of my destiny. Every week of variety of people are taking this step. This is your week. Take that step. And then for the rest of us, uh, I framed the response to the message in the form of a prayer that I hope that you will be praying throughout this week. So take a picture of it. Here's the prayer right here. Why don't you just pray it with me? God, 
empower me to acknowledge my fears and not be deceived or controlled by them. And then here's a reflection question. It's the same from last week, but it it really speaks to the message this week. In what area is fear dominating my life and dictating my actions? Take a picture of this uh, reflection question. Now, let me encourage you guys. Make sure you join us next week online at our regular times, 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific time. And of course, if you're in the Bay Area, you can join us in person at either our San Jose site or our Ridwood City site.